And now for another thrilling tale from As the World Continuously Improves. Chad, what have you done with Richard? Richard? That fool is spinning his wheels at his desk. What do you mean? He got a vague project from Rolando, his supervisor. He was unclear with his instructions, and my golden boy brother has refused to seek clarification and attempt to solve the problem on his own. But if he doesn't get a full-time offer at the end of his co-op, you will never be able to save your heart. Why? Why won't he just admit to himself that it's okay to ask questions? Ha! If you ask him, his failure will be the fault of Rolando. My brother has never taken responsibility for his actions. <gasps> Even when he failed to stop at that cursed red light that evening. Have a heart, Chad. I can't believe you would dare tell me to have a heart. I have one. It doesn't work. I can't waste any more time on this pointless conversation. I must find Richard and encourage him to see the value in asking for help. It's not admitting failure. It's part of the learning process, as well as the process of becoming a competent engineering professional. Meanwhile, at Richard's office in the Bureau of Traffic Affairs. Richard, have you run the simulation on the traffic model? Well, I don't actually know how to do that. How much time have you spent doing nothing? Do you know how much I'm paying you? Sir, I just didn't want to seem incompetent. It's really not my fault. You are the person who is supposed to make sure I know what I'm supposed to be doing. How dare you! If I have been unclear, it's only because I have come to expect more from you. You should know by now to ask if you can't figure out what I'm thinking. I'm sorry, sir. Maybe if I pull it up, pull up the traffic simulator, that is, while you are here, and you can walk me through it. Alright, well, do you see... Right there, what if we just disabled this red light here? I mean, what if we disable all of the red lights? <laughs> Mom? Dad? No! Good whatever time you're listening to this, people. Um, so Jesse's here with me today. Hello, I'm Justin. You're not Justin. Well, Don't lie. This isn't that time. Well, I'm <laughs> pretending to be Justin today. You're doing a terrible job. Uh, <laughs> so we... There's a couple things we want to cover. I think it's time we've, you know, you've been in your co-op positions long enough where this, this stuff we're going to talk about might have happened to you or, uh, or hasn't happened to you or might still happen to you. 
just could be a possibility at could any be. point here. You never know. So um, we're going to talk a little bit about, the first thing I want to talk about is um, the blame game. I mean, at least it rhymes. It's very catchy. It is. But uh, I think it was a game show in the 70s and then they, you know, took it off the air because of Betty White or something. <laughs> Uh, before we kind of hop into talking about an article, I guess I just want to ask you, Tony, have you ever kind of had the blame and a job passed off to you or did you kind of pass the buck off to someone else? Um, you know, I've always tried not to do that because it, 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 when it happens, it, like the more it ha- the once you do it, it like it's easier to do it. So mm-hmm. um, it, it, you go through those stretches where you kind of blame everyone else for the problems you're you're having or um maybe you've or you felt like you've been blamed for things that you weren't responsible for at work or something sometimes mm-hmm. i've actually taken the blame when i wasn't to blame because i was in charge of the person that maybe made a mistake but mm-hmm. you know it should have been something i would have caught but that's kind of a weird little hiss sound in the background there we're trying some new things with garage band it's been acting up for the last couple of weeks so bear with us Hopefully we don't get that weird echo like at the end of the last podcast. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I guess, you know, I don't have any really specific examples. I can talk about, um, well, we can get into that later. So this article I found actually is, uh, let's see, it came out in the Harvard Business Review. It's actually from 2010. So it's uh, right right after the Gulf oil spill, which is kind of in- interesting. Mm-hmm. Um so it starts out there. Uh, so this article is called How to Stop the Blame Game. And it's uh, under a leadership banner. And this is by Nathaniel J. Fast. But he starts out by talking basically about how in the, the Senate inquiry, the executives for the um, the oil company were basically passing the blame on whoever they could <laughs> point out in the room. And it said, no one was impressed. <laughs> um, and then basically it goes through a bit um, saying that, you know, this doesn't, it doesn't work. You never really, uh, it doesn't help anyone when you start blaming others for the problems you, that, that happen or mistakes that are made. Mm-hmm. And you know what? You're going to make mistakes and it's okay. Oh, absolutely. That's mm-hmm. a big thing is just being humble with your work. Acknowledge when you messed up or when you didn't know something. Right. You know later. And if you feel like um, you're in a place where everyone else is blaming, they kind of cover that as well. But basically the, the point of the article was that a good leader basically makes it safe to own up to failure and to own up for mistakes yeah just kind of fostering that kind of culture where it's okay to have that safety net and to admit things instead of it kind of being a you against everyone else mentality yep and what he says is um basically you would you would kind of expect it to be like a and he calls it the kick the dog thing where it's getting passed down from the higher up so like you know, the owner is yelling at the department manager and then the department manager is blaming someone below him and then that person's blaming their intern or co-op student, mm-hmm. which is you. Hopefully not, but, you know, but it actually doesn't work like that. And he talks about it like a germ or a virus. And uh, when someone in your vicinity starts doing this and blaming people, 
it makes it like culturally appropriate mm -hmm. to do it. So then everyone kind of starts doing this. Because mm -hmm. no one wants that blame just shifted onto them because then it kind of gets almost personal and you need to defend yourself and you're trying to make these great impressions. Right. So if other people are shifting blame onto you, it's natural that if uh, you're kind of ever confronted with that situation, you're going to try and shift it off to someone else kind of as self-defense. Yep. So one of the first points that he brings up with a few practical steps to kind of facilitate this culture is the first one is don't blame others for your mistakes. So it's really tempting to point out when point to others when you make a mistake just kind of to pass the blame off. It's like that old phrase where when you point one finger at someone, you're pointing three back at yourself. Like acknowledge when you've kind of messed up or like I said before didn't know something. That's why I always point my fingers, palm up. <laughs> Life hack. Like I'm serving you know <laughs> serving a plate of spaghetti to them. Um, and then he also is talking about when you do have to sometimes there are, it is necessary to actually blame someone for something and there are ways to do it in a constructive manner so like in these cases he says make sure you highlight the goal is learning so you don't publicly humiliate someone so almost like you take them aside and do it in private so mm -hmm. the next point is to set an example by confidently taking ownership of your failures and so just showing that hey i've messed up and then not being embarrassed by it but just acknowledging that it's a thing and now we need to fix it um, I know for myself, when I was in my last co-op, there was at one point on a project, I was talking with another engineer. He's like, hey, you forgot to acknowledge this thing. I went, hmm. Yeah, I did. I didn't realize that was something I had to look into when I started this project. And so we're sitting there and I go, okay, well, can we reschedule for tomorrow? It'll give me a day to look over this and kind of come back and regroup. And he went, yep, that's fine. So it became a non-issue. It wasn't something to be embarrassed about that I forgot something. It was just, okay, I need to go back and do this, and now we can move forward. Right. I mean, this comes into almost a another form of a test when you're on co-op. Basically, everyone knows that failures are going to happen, mm -hmm. and you're going to be confronted with a failure at some point. And how are you responding to that? How are you reacting to that? And that's something you're being tested on. Mm -hmm. You might not, it might not be explicitly testing on it, but you're being tested on this. Well, and it's just part of the job. It doesn't mean you failed at your job. It just means, well, you failed at doing something and now the rest of your job is fixing it or overcoming that. So you can do that by just owning up to it so you can get to work. Right. So one of the next points is to always focus on learning. So um, just creating a culture where learning rather than just avoiding mistakes is kind of a top priority. It just falls along with the idea that you are a co-op student or when you start working, you're a new engineer and you're there to learn and you won't know everything. So just show others that have been there for, say, 20 years that you're willing to learn from them and you take what they say and you really take it to heart and you're using what they give you. Right. Be, be active in your listening and be active in your learning. So we've all, we've all worked on a team with someone I'm sure that came in and knows everything about everything. 
Um, and how do you deal with someone like that? Or And don't try to be that person. I think I learn more from, or I, I've observed more people who are actively listening and writing things down instead of being in control of the conversation. And then those are the people that I would go to when I needed help because they heard everything and they saw what was going on and t they were taking notes on it. So, mm -hmm. you know, be, be active, <laughs> be an active learner. You're not just going to, I mean, you do absorb things, but it tends to be bad habits. <laughs> well, and one thing with writing notes is it just kind of looks like you are taking this seriously. If you made a mistake, you're documenting it and then that way you hopefully won't make it again. Right. So it looks good on you and it helps you in the future to write things down. Yep. And then the last step that he was talking about in this article is reward people for making mistakes. And uh, it's he says that some co companies actually started to incentivize employees to make mistakes as long as the mistakes can teach lessons. And then further future innovation, which basically... You know, some of the biggest inventions in the world were mistakes. Mm -hmm. So, like Silly Buddy. <laughs> I like, the, there was one earlier, we got, we went, skipped over it, but um, when, when he was, uh, said, set an example by confidently taking ownership for your failures. Um, when his quote at the end of that section is, try to foster a chronic sense of inner security in order to reduce the chances that you'll lash out at others. Mm -hmm. So if you're secure in what you're doing and the fact that you're learning and this is your mission is to learn and improve, you will tend not to lash out at others. So I remember being on one of my first project teams and we all kind of were perfectionists. And so we didn't want to make mistakes on this project. We wanted to do it once and do it right. And I remember our project uh, manager at the time actually he tried to implement that failure is okay, getting stuck is okay, like let's not blame each other. And he actually started using the phrase fail faster forward so right. that we just acknowledge, yep, we made a mistake, that didn't work, what's the next thing we're doing? And it was a really good way to actually kickstart that team into not being scared of making choices. We got a lot more done that way. Right. Yeah, you have to explore all avenues. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is really good. I've been on a team where you know, the blame, the blame game started getting passed around and it does spread because it was one person doing it. And then the next thing you know, it was the, the other person on the team was doing it. One person actually <laughs> dropped out of school um, and left the team. And, uh, I basically, um, left, left the office and would work in the lounge. So, mm -hmm. um, that was how I dealt with it because I couldn't change it with my positivity. So I guess I'll just remove myself from the situation because mm -hmm. life's hard enough there's no sense uh making it harder by burning bridges around you so mm -hmm. it just kind of depends on whatever scenario you're in like however you handle it yeah and it's uh this is okay to talk to your facilitator about if you're having this issue at work so Right, next week's podcast is me beatboxing the whole time. <laughs> That's not happening. Um, so that was a little bit negative. I think, I mean, it's a good topic to talk about, but let's talk about why the blame game maybe happens. And uh, I think that's because we just don't want to ask questions. 
Yeah. Would you I agree mean, with that? Absolutely. Uh, I know for myself, one of my my last co-op, it took me a long time to figure out how to ask questions and looking back at it. Gosh, I wish I had just picked up this lesson sooner because it would have made things a lot easier going into it. Yeah. I, I've never... Well, I sh I'm not, not going to say I've never had a problem asking questions. I, I had a point in my life where I stopped caring what other people thought of me. Mm -hmm. And I'll tell you the exact story that when it happened. So I was at the Mall of America with my wife and our two daughters. And my youngest was, I think, three at the time. And we took her to Build-A-Bear. And she mm -hmm. got a Build-A-Bear, right? Because that's what you do at the Mall of America when you have a little three-year-old running around there whining <laughs> about stuff. She's a good kid. Don't 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 let me. You guys, some of you know her. The Bell students know my daughter Ivy. So Ivy wanted to walk because you know when you're at that age, you're in a stroller, but you can walk, so you want to walk. So she got out of the stroller, put the Build-A-Bear in the stroller, and then I'm like, I, I was gonna go walk around and look at clothes in the men's section, and I'm pushing the stroller with me because my wife has the the girls with her and they're looking at clothes too. So I'm walking around in the men's department pushing a stroller <laughs> and then I walk by one of the mirrors, you know, you always have a million mirrors in there and mm -hmm. I see that I'm pushing a stroller with a teddy bear in it <laughs> and I'm wearing a pink diaper bag on my back with a teddy, another teddy bear in it. And at that point I stopped caring what anyone thought of me because how could I not look any more ridiculous than I already do? <laughs> um, and I probably was talking to myself too, so. So anyway, I, I stopped caring about what people thought, so that made it easier for me to always ask questions. So I can kind of go on the flip side of um, what what ways do you go about doing that? But um, I found a really cool article, and this is actually um, it's called "How Awesome Engineers Ask for Help." It's by Greg Sabo, and he was writing this as a as a software engineer. So. But I just want to kind of go through, we're going to do the same thing and go through these practices that he's talking about in the article. And um, we'll just go through one by one and discuss them. Mm -hmm. So uh, the first one is basically clarify what's expected of you. And I was really, this is something that I got good at. And I, I think this goes with when Ron, it bugs people sometimes when, when there's like, all right, three questions before we move on. So one of those questions could be, so you're saying, and then you repeat back what they said in your own words to show that you understood it. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yes, it makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, uh, just clarifying what's expected of you. A lot of times, like in projects, we're given really vague scopes or desire views. They can be a little bit intentionally vague. Sometimes your clients leave things vague because they want to see if you can be creative outside of what they've already thought of and so just clarifying what you need to be doing is always a great step right yeah i think some people think about putting something in a box but they don't think about well i can make the box bigger you know what i mean so there's like you you have to ask questions to find out what you can do so mm -hmm. i think that that's a good way to think about it and hopefully that you agree with that and maybe if you haven't thought of it that way start thinking about that way the next point on the article is ask your manager what they expect you to do when you're stuck 
Uh, kind of as we mentioned before, just because you're getting stuck doesn't mean you're failing at your job. It's just another part of your job is now getting unstuck. And so maybe it seems a little embarrassing at first to have that conversation, but in the end, it's for the best of the company to kind of lay out, all right, well, when I get stuck and I spend you know, this long doing something, who should I be talking to? Who should be a resource for me? Other companies kind of have this laid out really nice. I've heard of examples of companies that'll give people a timer on their desk when they start. And after 15 minutes of you starting a new problem, and if in 15 minutes you don't have some sort of idea of what you need to be doing and you're still just lost, then it's okay to talk to your office neighbor or talk to someone in the department um, because you've put in that initial time trying to figure it out. So just outline what you should be doing when you do run into that problem. Right. One, one thing I used to do too was how long should this take me or how long do you think this will take? And then obviously you can divide that up and be like, all right, I've, I'm a third of the way through what they thought it would take me and I have zero progress made. I need to go ask a question. Mm-hmm. So, and then we're, so we're just going to move on because I think that was, that was good, but we don't need to spend any more time on that. You mm-hmm. get it. You guys are sharp. You get it. Uh, so the next step is define your personal procedure leading up to asking for help. So basically this kind of sounds again, like a, some sort of process maybe. I don't know. What do you think? Problem solving process, design yeah. process. I always think of it as like checking my boxes. So that if someone asks me what I've done, like I can show like, no, I really have thought about this. Right. So you, this is, so this is saying, yeah, describe the steps that you can go through when you get stuck. So how do you go th- go about going around that design wheel? Cause basically that's a problem solving wheel, but it's also, you need to say what you've done so far when you go to someone and say, I'm stuck. This is what I've done so far. Mm-hmm. This is how I normally solve a problem, but this is what I've already done. And I'm, I'm to here now and I don't know what to do next. Mm-hmm. So So that process can kind of be different depending on what your project is, but it could be something like one of your first things is, can I summarize it in my own words? Have I Googled it? Do I know of somewhere I can look in the company's records to get an idea of what to do? Uh, It just depends on the situation, but make a process for yourself that you kind of follow. Right. I guess those were all under, that was all under number one. We're just kind of, we're going through this article as we go. Um, and that was all one, so that was like one A, B, C. All right, so now we're on two. So, and number two is when you ask, take full responsibility. And, oh, look at this. Many engineers think asking for help, think of asking for help as a failure to do their jobs. So they think that asking for help is giving up. No, you're wrong. Don't think that. I'm going to get right on the mic. Don't think that. Because it's part of the learning process. This is part of what you have to go through as an engineer to learn. And you learn more from mistakes. And this, and not knowing what to do next isn't a mistake. It's just um, part of the learning process. Mm-hmm. One thing to even note is, yes, right now you're new, so it's understandable, of course, that you're learning. But that doesn't go away. I've worked with people who've been there 20, 25 years at companies and they're still learning new things. It kind of always happens. So 
don't expect that you're going to have to be an expert by a certain date. Right. Yeah, there's no deadline for being an expert. And things change so fast in engineering that there's always a new software that someone else is, you know, a better, better, has more knowledge at that software. Mm-hmm. For instance, I started using this new software package for iPad called Shaper 3D, and it's so much more intuitive than SolidWorks, but it's got the same driver driving it, but it's just very, very much like switching between the Apple Pencil and your finger, and it's just crazy how fast I can make a model with that, so that's really fun, but, you know, I would still go to Justin as a SolidWorks expert, but mm-hmm. when... If he starts playing with that, maybe he'll come to me and ask me questions about how I did something. So mm-hmm. now, now I've become more of an expert on something else, right? Yeah. As you kind of go through work, depending on the projects you do, you might even become the subject matter expert on some new technology that the others haven't had to dig into yet. And so just be aware of that. Yeah. Where I, well, where I worked, if you had done it once, you're the expert. Because so. <laughs> a lot of it was just breaking new ground on things, so. All right, so for the next point on here, uh, as you're asking questions, make it clear that you're not giving up. And so this kind of talks about avoiding phrases like, I need help, or I can't get this to work. And so those kind of imply that you're done working and trying to get someone else to do it now. Whereas a better way to approach other people is, hey, I've checked you know, this forum for this message, or hey, I'm having trouble, I'm getting this thing to pop up in my simulation. I don't know how to work past it. Have you seen it? Right. And this kind of goes back to the, I think we talked, was that one week or two weeks ago, the seven phrases that... Yeah, it um, just comes across as more confident and... Yep. And then I like the next step was uh, actively participate in the helping process. So if someone comes to you for help, make sure you stay with them and and walk them through the process but don't just ask someone a question and then let them walk away if you need more help or more clarification keep that person there or keep in contact with that person so you have that um, resource there Mm -hmm. and so then after you get an answer follow up with people Uh, that person who did help you they did take some time so it might just be Showing a little appreciation, sending them an email that says thank you. If you use Slack channels as a way to communicate with teams, maybe putting a message in there that says, hey, so-and-so helped me figure out this part. Really appreciate it. They were a great resource. You know, some way to show that you appreciated that they helped you. Yep. And acknowledging those people in front of other people is just a great way to gain social capital and you know, that's part of networking too, is get, building some social capital. Yeah, and Nothing it hel- wrong with it. It helps build that network of people who are, oh, they openly talked about, like, they failed. So it helps build that culture right. too. And there, and if someone helps you and then you take full credit for that <laughs> and don't give them any credit for it, guess who's not going to help you next time you need help? Mm-hmm. So don't, don't screw it up either. I like the, the follow-up, too, and that goes if if you're in the hallway walking by someone and you're like, hey, you know, I, I don't know how to do this. Can you, you know, what what are, what are your experiences with this? And they give you an answer. When you get back to your desk, send that person an email and just be like, just to clarify, this is what you told me to do. And now you have 
like a paper trail for that conversation. So I mm -hmm. think that's another good way to follow up with someone. Mm -hmm. And then let's see, the next step is just solidify what you learned. So basically write, write down your takeaways, reflect on that experience mm -hmm. and then, okay, don't, don't keep asking the same person the same question. Like that's another way to lose a bunch of social capital. Yeah, they'll think whatever they're saying is going in one ear and out the other. So why should they bother keep telling you? Yep. So write it down. Um, take notes for yourself. It shows that person you're interested in what they're saying. It also helps you as you go back maybe a month later and you have to do something. Yep. I've had that happen too where maybe you, you ask someone for help and they've never seen it either. So you kind of walk through it together. And I was always one to go back to my desk and write it. And I had composition notebooks scattered all over. And they were dated because I was in consulting. So I wrote down what I was doing for every 15 minutes of the day. But I'd also write notes. And then, you know, I had kind of my method for what what did I measure? What did I ask questions on? How, you know, circled and squared, things like that. Mm -hmm. And uh, we'd come back to that or they'd run into it again and be like, do you remember how we got through that? And I could go back into my notes and be like, yeah, this is what we did and this is how we figured it out. And then, so then I was kind of the quote unquote expert on it the second time around. So, and then let's see, we already talked about gratitude and let's see, always make it count when you ask for help. So I think we already covered everything. I mean, when you follow up, when you show gratitude, when you give them credit, mm -hmm. like, the, you made that experience count. You got better for it and you gained some social capital mm -hmm. because you didn't sit at your desk for 24 hours of the week not doing anything. Yeah, it's better to ask someone a five-minute question than to spend two hours kind of spinning your wheels because engineers cost a lot of money to yeah. pay. And so spending that time idle when you could just ask someone a question, it doesn't make sense. Right. So keep moving forward, ask questions when you need to ask questions, get clarification when you need clarification and you're going to be on the right track for success. This just in. So Jesse and I talked about, um, the blame game and then we talked about asking questions and seeking help when you're stuck. So what are your thoughts on that, Justin? Yes, I, man, the, the blame game one, I always get scared of just going down that route because that person stands out like a sore thumb and immediately gets that reputation of, it's not my fault, it's this reason, that reason. And anytime you go to that person with an issue past that, it's, it's really hard to get past that encounter that you had with them where nothing was their fault and it was always someone else's. Right. Uh, I can think of someone in particular that worked in the warehouse that tipped over a rack of product on it. Wasn't his fault. Right. It was the people around him that were talking to him when he was driving the forklift and <laughs> crashed into uh, some racking. Nice. Yep. Yeah. Also, he had his own self-proclaimed parking spot, and when someone took it, he threw a coffee cup at the wall of the building and yep. Like he, he kind of had some other, uh, temperament issues, but he, apparently, yes. Uh, 
definitely went down that immediate blame game type attitude. Wow. Uh, those people usually just don't last in any kind of position with responsibility. Right. Yep. Uh, another good point I can bring up is that one of uh, my good friends that went through the program, graduated from IRE a semester before me, working at Polaris, actually admitted a fault in a big meeting. And he was like, actually, that was that was an issue I was taking care of on the assembly line. That was my fault. And then thought he was going to be in a lot of trouble and ended up getting praised by more than one person after the meeting saying, that was really that was really good of you to actually come forward and say that. I don't think many people would have admitted to that right right in the meeting. No. And a lot of times, you know, you sit on something like that and the company spends money investigating this and it's right. just something you might have screwed up. And if you would have just come forward, you know, yeah. it just it gets solved quicker. Right. I've I've never been in a situation where someone just doesn't expect mistakes to happen or that no. they're like really mad about a human error. Right. Happening. I was ordering very expensive prototypes on a tight budget and deadline, and I only ordered right-hand pieces, not left-hand pieces. Oh, boy. So, yeah, I got really excited when parts came, and my boss started looking through the box and got to the arms that one was left, one was right. He's holding a right one, I believe, and he was like, did we order left ones? And I'm like, nope. <laughs> He's like, well, we better get those made, shouldn't we? And, like, I felt terrible, but he was actually, like, really nice about it and understanding. And right. like it, it, it makes it much easier to solve the issue and work through it when you don't have that, like, shunned-type right. attitude directed towards you because you made a mistake. But if I admitted to it right then and there, which if I would have been like, oh, I don't know if I did, and like, I think that would have caused a lot more issues than just being like, nope, I didn't. I made a mistake. I'll fix it. Right. And that, that's a good point that your boss was, like, cool about it because he could have been one of those people that threw a coffee cup against the wall or screamed yeah. at the top of the lungs. And guess what? That just breeds more, fail, you know, more mistakes because you start putting more undue stress on people and then they start making bigger mistakes more often. So, right. And then not admitting it because they're scared of you. So, yeah. What about uh, questions? Asking questions. Do you have anything on that? Huge. Google, first, second, and third has always been kind of like, I'll, I'll stick to that for sure. But I did spin my wheels on one uh, particular part on the CMM that I worked on. Uh, that was like my one failure learning moment in that, with that particular situation I was in. And I spent a full week. I spent 40 hours working on one part. And I should have went and asked questions and, and tried to prioritize more because I could have gotten parts that needed to get through CNC yeah. done on the CMM so that there was a part program to run for it versus spending all my time on this one complicated one that I wanted to get perfect. And yeah, I, it was a learning moment in, yep. the, in, the, in the moment for sure. I've done it too where you sit, you know, spend 12 hours on something that should only take one or two and, or you just don't know what to do so, and you're scared, so... You get yeah. there. It'll it'll happen. Happens to the best of us. Right. It's it tough to put to the Justin, pride down. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You have to put your pride aside sometimes and just ask questions. And 99% of people are, like, more than willing to answer those questions. Right. I always was. I never felt like I was being burdened by a question unless I was asked the same question two or three times. Yep. That's a good way. We've talked about uh, 
losing social capital, and that'll really lose that. Or Parker's got blue chips. Blue chips, blue that's chips. right. Yep, story time with Parker. Take yep. notes. Yep. Don't be a dip. <laughs> Get some more chips. Uh, Anything else? Nope, that's about it. Okay. Cool. I guess that's it then. All right. Bye. Bye now. Pow. Pow.